Welcome to the podcast. We will be speaking with Catherine, Catherine Barth uh, from Circular Norway. And you might already guess, we are going to talk about a 360 economy. Catherine is just above the Arctic Circle. Uh, I met her via LinkedIn, uh, where she connected with me. Fantastic to have her on the podcast. She's a whirlwind of energy, very inspiring. You can find all the links we talk about in the show notes, as well as on our website. That's podcasts.earth. Without further ado, here's the podcast with Catherine in Norway. So let me introduce you quickly. I'm speaking here with Catherine Barf, uh, and Catherine is in Norway. And uh, you are at an, what, what, the Arctic Circle is what you told me the last time we spoke briefly. Is that correct? Yes, uh, yes, a little bit uh, north of the Arctic Circle. North Boda of the Arctic Circle. The wow. Boda, yeah, so uh-huh. it's uh, the, the, the home, home uh, city of my parents. Okay. Mm. Okay, and you just on a holiday, or are you working, or no? This summer wants a vacation, I would say. Yeah. Uh, using this sort of the quiet time uh, around us, uh, trying to continue the work on a book I've been researching for ah. about three years. And uh, March this year, just decided when COVID entered, that just put on the engine and make this book happen. So. Yeah been writing through four to five chapters and this is also why i, I went north so i can um, it can be a little tranquil and very inspirational to yeah. be here to work on uh, this so how, how many chapters are going to be how many chapters are you going to write in total well the plan is uh, uh, 10 10 um, okay so you're almost done yeah well almost halfway <laughs> done well it's uh and nobody that i know that wrote books said it's easy uh, yeah. it's very inspiring but it's also I, I discovered the need of the book, uh, and if someone else wrote it, I would be so happy. Right. Uh, and when I've been on airports the last uh, four years, and I always walk to the business bookshelf, mm-hmm. you see where Harvard Business Review is and all that, and trying to find where do I find readable books about this new economy. Yeah. And, and there isn't any, there weren't any, and we see this is also a temperature measure where are the leaders in our day. So if we don't get these books about the new economy yeah. on the shelves for what the, do the business leaders read, then we cannot uh, rely on the business leaders to be in the mindset. So uh, pretty bold enough, uh, uh, I was thinking how can we make an airport book uh, on a circle economy right Uh, uh, because there's so much great literature but it's very technical it's very like intricated it's very written by uh insights uh, circular economists and uh but it was one book that really inspired me on this and that was kate raverth she started uh, being put on these shelves uh, and uh, her way of storytelling and her way of introducing the donut economy, yeah. being very bold about the, the uh, communicating language uh, right. and very including More, more like in layman terms, basically. Is that correct? What would you mean by that, Peter? Well, more like not in technical terms, but more in terms that everyone can understand. Is that is like like readable almost, correct? Is that what you're trying to do? Very much. And, 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 and very much. And, and, and it's readable and, and it sticks to the mind and the memory. Yeah. So very inspired by, actually, it's a contribution for the man who did the breakthrough of the linear economy. Okay. Uh, and learned how he actually did that. Okay. Uh, and if you would have like two minutes for the story about Paul Samuelson. Did okay. you hear about him? No. Go ahead. He was a great economist. Uh, he earned uh, the Nobel Prize uh, uh, a few years later, but it was he was working at um, Stanford, uh, came from uh, MIT, right. and he they were setting up economy classes because they were had to retrain their post-war um, uh, uh, civil society in the United States. So yeah. Paul Samuelson, he was asked, can you please make an economy class so the students don't fail because they had been failing because engineers didn't understand the complicated and technical way that the, 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 the economy scientists uh, try to uh, teach uh, economy in, yep. in the pre and post-war era. And they said, Paul, you can do whatever you want to. We have 800 students signed up and you they cannot fail. Do whatever it takes. So he did what I today would call modern design thinking. He did insight on his students. Yeah. And then he came up with this splendid uh, economic language. He replicated it as uh, engineers would understand. Right. So he made a model, the first economic model. It was uh, actually... Uh, drawn out as an engine yep. with pipes and valves and uh, input and flows and any engineer would understand and and this became the book which is Econ 101 
and the economist, linear economist, has been reading this. Uh, it was the most uh, sold book for six decades. Wow. He evolved more than uh, 250 models. And uh, you can listen to the economic language also, how it replicates engineering. Oh, it's heating up again. And in the way he designed both the visual models and also the language, uh, it was a success. Okay. Um, and that was how sort of uh, the new economic or the linear economic got its uh, language that has been sort of expanding. And in our days, we believe that that's sort of a truth. It's more of a very good communication campaign replicating what the Catholics did <laughs> in medieval. Okay. So using pictures, models, and a uh, language which is listenable and that is adaptable. And so this is sort of my inspiration. And, and how what you're doing with do the, the same thing economy. for the circular yeah. economy. Yeah. There you go. Okay, there you go. And obviously you're a CEO and founder, I believe, of... of um, Circular Norway, tell me about it. What is it? Uh, Circular Norway is uh, was uh, was uh, set up in the summer 2017. Yeah. Uh, after uh, I had been on a very uh, insightful journey uh, to Helsinki for the first World Economic Circular Economy Forum. Okay. Uh, is, uh, at that time, being uh, I had been working for, with Circular Economy in Norway, but being very puzzled about the silence about both the fields and the practices and uh, the lack of it in the debate or industry and what i met in finland wowed me so much um i didn't see the environmentalists there okay. i didn't see the waste management companies there but i saw the mckinsey people i saw the bank people i saw the government leaders i saw the business leaders yeah. two thousand people were invited by and they met up and uh, we were only eight people from norway and we said well how can we cold start, kickstart, uh, circular economy movement in Norway. Yeah. And uh, then they said, I, a clever guy, well, you have to make like Ellen MacArthur did. You have to make an Ellen MacArthur organization like in Norway. And it has to be independent. It has to be made for collaboration. It has to be practical and you're on board. So going back to Norway and being supported by uh, key in industry stakeholders they mm -hmm. joined me on this idea we started evolving circular uh, norway as an independent hub for driving innovation projects knowledge sharing and the aim was to accelerate certain economy in norway what, what do you mean by independent uh, what do you mean you mean politically independent or yes the politically independent okay. and also industry independent industry independent okay. in this industry independent why is that so, necessary uh, in the circular economy, uh, we are uh, very much uh, uh, challenged by the silo thinking. Okay. Oh, you're in the process industry. Oh, you're in the shipping. Oh, you work with agriculture. And the variety of industries uh, rarely collaborate together. Right. In lobbying and politics, they will always fight for their own interests. Right. And in the circular economy, you have to train your brain and your hands to look along your value chain what kind of supply chain you're part of, both upstream, where your materials come from, yeah. but also understand downstream, where will your product be ending in the afterlife and afterlife. And, and to do that, we have to nurture uh, mythologies that the trade organization can work closely also with a production organization because in a circular economy, it requires a more holistic view of the material journey and the product journey and the people who belong to different parts of the production so, value chain. Totally different mindsets, basically, what, than what's available right now. Is that correct? Indeed. Okay. Uh, challenged by linear thinking, which is very much fragmented, set up, masterminding and optimizing every single piece, but not seeing mm -hmm. the, the, the whole journey, which is sort of the cause why we are in such terrible state for the resource source outtake of the world, natural resources. Yeah. And the uh, hope not only hopefully, but being very dedicated that this is uh, achievable when we start working together. Okay. And that's why independent is... You say working together, it's really about collaboration, isn't it? And, or... Indeed. And uh, seeking uh, contracts which are good for collaboration and yeah. not for the purpose of competition. Yeah. It's like, it seems silly, but uh, when I started working with one of the major real estate, the state construction company of Norway, Statsbygg, okay. uh, we were doing insight and they said, well, one of the problems is maybe the contracts because our contracts are older than internet. Right. And uh, then 
being able to go down into the root cause system of identifying the barriers for circularity. Yeah. It takes time and it takes patience. And uh, it also uh, reminds us that you cannot do it alone. We have to work together on this. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I did a podcast uh, with uh, Per Larsans of Ragen Cells in Sweden. He was into waste management, uh, obviously. Um, that that's different from what you do. You obviously you say you're industry independent. It's about collaboration. Uh, I also saw on your website that the world is only nine percent circular. Yes, Pelar Shamsi has been a great inspiration. Uh, he is uh, uh, really one of those stepping up, not only working for his company but mm -hmm. for the entire industry. And also uh, working in a very open, transparent way. Yep. Cells is a beautiful company and it's a Nordic company. Yep. Uh, so they are in a variety of markets. And they are also a good example of the kind of companies which are spearheading this field now. It's a family-owned company. Yeah. And family-owned companies, they tend to have learned that, uh, well, we existed three generations ago. We have to plan for three generations ahead. Yeah. That is not so usual mindset in the short-term business world. Okay. And the Rang Cells, I've been working with them several years ago and their strategies oh, yeah. okay. really yeah. learned how foresighted they are. Uh, so we have to collaborate. The waste industry has to uh, collaborate with producers, with mm -hmm. uh, uh, vendors, and uh, what they are doing. It also reminds me that we need to have sort of a natural science in a new uh, available way. <laughs> the world economy is only 9% circular. It means that less than 10% of the materials that flow through our value chain yeah. will ever get back uh, or uh, be returning. 90% will be lost out of the value chain yeah. and uh, either it will be in stock in housing or it will be waste in the ocean or most of it, a lot will be burned. So we burn our uh, uh, valuable materials before yeah. we before they're dead, before they give, a, give them a second chance to come back into the value chain again. And um, the good thing about this number 9%, it's, a, it's the community of World Economic Forum. It's the, it, it is a measurement that is agreed between academics, researchers, governments, and business leaders. Right. Okay. So they, that, that's where the number comes from, is it? Or, yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. So through collaboration, finding ways to measure the material streams and material flows and, and, and also connected to the core societal and human needs. It's sheltering, it's nutrition, it's mobility, it's communication. These needs uh, are basic wherever. If I live in Norway or in Nigeria, these will need to be covered. Yeah. So how can we look at this in a one fact-based consistent way? Yeah. And how can we also say we're 9% now? How can we become 19% or 90% circular? So yeah. this is how strategies are made. We start with common understanding where we are right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and Norway, how is Norway doing in, in that, uh, in that uh, picture? Is it also 9% or less? Because you said there were only nine, nine uh, representatives at that forum where you were in 2017. Well, we, uh, one of the ambitions when you're nine, we hope to be 90 <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah. So really uh, evoking a movement and including, yeah. So uh, now it's no need to be walking around selling, it's, it's, uh, having a wake-up call for circularity. Yeah. Because so many people and business and organization has become very engaged and we are expecting a national strategy for circularity in Norway made by the government this fall in December. Okay. Why is that? Why, 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 why is December? What happens in December? I know that it's uh, the climate ministry has stated we will have it by then. Regarding the Norwegian number, this will be published um, in the end of August. So, uh, uh, and the amazing thing about this Norwegian circularity gap report, it is answering to what was stated at Davos World Economic Forum in January. Okay. Uh, because that global number is not changing. When bad is getting worse, is it stagnant? the number is lowing. It's stagnating right. and it's going down. And okay. the, what even worse is that a total outtake of resources has exceeded 100 million tons, billion tons. Yeah. And it's ever increasing because we're planning for cons consumption growth in the linear economy. Huh. So what they also said, the, the power of change, this belongs to the countries. Now we have to turn to the region and countries who can actually perform and implement that we unhook the, the linear train. Yeah. And uh, we have been working for a long time to pilot a national study uh, of circularity. You've been involved uh, in that report, have you? Or? 
Yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Uh, uh-huh. We've been partnering very soon with Circle Economy Netherlands, very skilled uh-huh. organization. Uh-huh. They evolved these uh, methodologies and these strategy tools. Yep. And uh, we uh, initiated discussions uh, two years ago. How could we uh, be among the, the front countries to measure a national economy? Yep. So Austria did it, and also recent this year, Netherlands did it. It was the Netherlands government uh, that paid for it. 24% circularity, but it also proves that systematically uh, work uh, uh, has impact. They started in 2013, so they have a seven-year front run than our country. So um, I, I am very excited to see how other countries will measure. Yep. I cannot reveal the Norwegian number, but we see this also as a maybe a pilot for the Nordic countries to commonly uh, onboard uh, a measurement for the Nordic circular economy also. Mm-hmm. But what we will see, we will first time have a visual picture and clear fact-based numbers how the state of the nation is. Yeah. And then we don't, and, and that will be so re- relieving because until now, uh, there are so fragmented ways of explaining it and onboarding it and everybody has to do it their own special way. Uh, but when we see the total number, I hope this can nurture really uh, a force of circular leadership, both private and public, mm-hmm. to say we have to uh, take all our capabilities and resources to uh, improve our circularity in the Norwegian economy in, in, in our way. Yeah, this is a good moment to think about it as well, isn't it? I mean, uh, with COVID-19, uh, everyone is just, you know, they have a lot of time to think about this. Hey? What do you think? What is the situation like where you are? It's holiday time now, uh, yeah. so people are traveling our own country. And um, coming from up north, uh, I discovered so many Norwegians discovering our country for the first time, entering the roads, uh, seeking the woods, seeking nature, seeking, uh, discovering the beauty and the amazing um, land we belong to. Yeah. And also you state sort of the quietness. Uh, another, I feel that the contemplation has struck people in so many ways. When it was really at the most silent, I was out there, I, I, I bought myself an electric bicycle, cycling in the streets that were totally empty. It was like the nature had been given us a big cough. Yeah. Um, we have been putting nature in cage uh, for 200 years. Now it is uh, returning. She is uh, putting us in cages. One day we'll be walking out our houses and can meet again. And the topics that people talk about it's very interesting, but I'm also listening a great fear, a huge fear that, oh, we'll go back. Oh, we're jamming. We have to, we're jamming the economy with solutions that will not change from fossil, uh, where people want to go out bathing and people want to pretend like uh, it was yesterday. Uh-huh. But it is not yesterday anymore, Peter. I, I, I think this is the opportunity for radical uh, fast change to a healthier and cleaner and safer economy and 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 what could have taken 10 to 30 years in political uh, system planning we now have the opportunity to really radically change to a green and and healthier economy for all and uh, create new jobs Mm -hmm. so uh it's it's biased um very grateful but i meet people who are scared saying we don't believe in it people are want to consume they want to have the same lifestyle when it's uh, opening up again so we will see yeah time will tell basically yeah well uh it teaches us to be very uh have humility in meeting uh with what we thought was true and what was i would say orthodoxes are turning to paradoxes uh, and probably it awakens at least me that we are allowed to question what we're surrounded by and we are also say, seeing that well we thought it was a human right to keep on flying planes uh, across the earth all the time and suddenly we see the airplane industry collapsing eh? probably will never recover no but this is also how the big shifts in the world history has been. Yep. It's pandemia or worse crises that suddenly Change move paradigms. Huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Um, back to uh, the circular economy. Um, I believe that you're uh, working with certain uh, regions uh, and you talk about the Nordic circular hotspot. I take that is the, uh, that is the Nordic countries, right? Uh, that should work together. You say something about the 11th uh, largest economy in the world. Is that, is that correct? If you put together the Nordic economies, yeah. then uh, 
that will become a huge market. It would be the 11th largest economy pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what we see now as circularity is emerging. I would say it's like internet in 1994. Right. Uh, so uh, then you had www was one set, one sure. skill. So we I remember, have to have some I remember those times, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I work with people who weren't even born these I know, days. So, I know, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Show, show them uh, a cassette tape or something like that. They were often, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. But understanding that we're a pre, pre-evolving uh, era, uh, yeah. just as uh, internet evolved in the 90s, as social media uh, evolved uh, uh, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, we will not see what is on the other side. But uh, what we see uh, is um, we are to implement a circular economy in the Norwegian way and then a Swedish way and then a Danish way and then a Finland way, that's not very resource productive. Mm -hmm. So in the area that uh, that we have, we are so lucky to have a sister nation in Finland, which has been a front runner. It's really working strategically through the big markets, through EU, working collaboratively with Japan. Mm -hmm. They are so fast ahead. Uh, Why should Finland work with the Nordics if mm-hmm. the Nordics don't want to collaborate? And then you have the Swedish companies. You see Volvo, you see H&M, you see uh, IKEA for certainly yeah. really testing it and around sales on their businesses. So the business leaders of Sweden are uh, are, are front-running this. And then you have uh, Denmark you know, doing it more political way and uh, you have Fleming Bessenbacher. What we discovered that we had to go to Netherlands to meet the pioneers of circularity okay and uh, we uh, and we were people putting ourselves together can we replicate the wonderful um, model of holland circular hotspot yeah. which is a collaborative unit it's made for collaboration and how can we uh, make a structure to make it feasible and attractive and compelling for the nordic uh, markets to collaborate and share innovation make uh, a pilot scalable and evolve a circular Nordic uh, market. That can then be a example uh, for, it says in, in your article, it has the potential to become an international front figure uh, for a transition to circular economy. So that means that you could be, if it works out properly, it could be an example of how really to collaborate and make progress that way, isn't it? I think the power of the regions uh, will be very important and mm-hmm. market is global, solutions are local. Yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, finding uh, the equilibrium of wanting to collaborate, finding it's more attractive to collaborate than compete. Yeah. Uh, and also what you will see is that the Nordic countries, they have a common set of challenges, yeah. but they also have a common set of opportunities that could make the Nordic region outstanding because we are trained for transparency. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a flat structure, um, uh, call it a Scandinavian uh, work culture, mm-hmm. uh, including, um, but also the consumption pattern in the Nordic countries is out of control. In which way is that? What do you mean, out of control? Uh, the, 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 the economy we, we buy and we purchase and we are responsible for so much of the uh, resource outtake through our imports mm-hmm. and uh, the way we consume and waste. Uh, so what when we to uh, measure uh, material footprint per capita, we will find it highs in the world among the Nordic countries. Uh, and that is um, success in a linear economy because, oh, uh, very high growth. But then we have to discover there must be other ways of uh, designing our products in and evolve a market, a new common market for circular solutions. And uh, since every of these countries are small, it will not be able to scale it. But if you go Nordic, then we will actually be able to identify and uh, let uh, grow a new uh, market for circularity because this is disruptive. It, it is a disruption. It, the disruption is beyond digitalization. Mm-hmm. So those who will seek benefits and want to explore circularity, they will know that we are an organization also wanting to increase demand for circularity. How can we increase the market mechanisms and Mm -hmm. uh, introduce circular procurement uh, systems for that? How can we uh, onboard uh, the cities, the mayors of cities to use circular mythology to transition tools to become circular cities and and to do it uh, in a unified way or a collaborative way? Um, is that what you're aiming at? Is that, what, what is your main what is your main target at the moment? Is it business? Is it regions? Is it cities? Uh, because I, I, I see uh, from what I've read so far, uh, I've seen you you, you uh, aim quite a few different uh, different uh, 
areas. What is your main area? My main area is business leaders. Business leaders, yeah. Those who are those who hasn't onboarded it yet, and yeah. those who are uh, getting ready to transform. Right. And I use sort of the hashtag uh, circular ready, coming from the days when we switched it from the fat TVs to the flat TV. Yeah. Uh, preparing the system for HD TV ready. Yeah. And this is how I I, I come with a system okay. approach. Everybody belongs to a system and the business system is really attaching us all. So those who are uh, so crucial to onboard and make confident, uh, brave, warm-hearted business leaders wanting to uh, step ahead. So, uh, and then, uh, and caring for their customers, uh, caring for the material use, caring for the relations to natural resources, Mm -hmm. and then the politicians and R&D will follow. But you talk about collaboration. Obviously, business is, is in the old sense, it's all about competition. Um, so how do you, is it, it's one of the questions I had, really, um, because you, you say that the Norwegians, uh, they always have an economy which has been closely tied to your ecology. Uh, so it means about having the right mindset. But for business, it's really about financial benefits at a certain point. And do you believe that a certain point will come down to money and financial benefits for the business if they can see that being more sustainable, working in a circular economy, that will show them that they can have financial benefits? Will that be more important at a certain point for business or is that differently in the Nordic regions? Uh, this is a variety, but uh, it mm-hmm. certainly comes to uh, uh, financial benefit or yeah. financial risk. Okay. Uh, so the risk language... Uh, uh, all business owners and business leaders understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you seek the benefits, it's really about uh, how do you uh, uh, create more value out of res- less resources? Yeah. And how can your own ways become a benefit for others? Mm-hmm. And how can you both uh, uh, improve the economy of a company by uh, gaining from uh, what used to be a cost-based waste uh, problem mm-hmm. to uh, income earning uh, value streams uh, and a, a new uh, new business. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes uh, the benefit is not really in the same company that starts the problem. So this is why we work with symbiosis, synergies. Mm-hmm. So when your waste problem, who's owning your waste? Uh, who's owning the material that the Perlasos was talking about the other day? And can you be more responsible about your own materiality before your own product becomes waste? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is... Uh, and the reason why I trust businesses is that they have trained for rapid change. Uh, those businesses who do survive uh, and have been doing that. I've been working corporate years ago, uh, years, years uh, myself. And when a company see a threat or see an opportunity, they have an amazing ability to just put, uh, start the engine and yeah. make it rolling. Uh, and this is the muscles that I want to uh, uh, explore and uh, engage business leaders and see that this is the opportunity window. And those who are heading along now, they are really uh, outstanding. And they only started like four or five years ago, you will see Unilever, you will see IKEA, but we, what we do not see is proven profitability, but okay. it's through the new business models. So they have to be, um, you have to be uh, confident that if you change your business models from a waste producing business model to a retaining value business model, how can your company survive? No one will do go on that journey if you're not confident that this is going to be beneficial on the both short and long term. Sure. Sure. Obviously, examples uh, that you give, if, if they can at a certain point show that they're financially better off, then that will make a change in other companies as well, I take it. So it might be slow, but... But there's another kind of business that is... Uh, and, and and when I talk with sort of business, why do we have to know this? And then I say, well, in not so many years, we'll have the Greta Thunberg generation. They will become our leaders, yeah. uh, right? Mm-hmm. So just be prepared for that as well, because that's another mindset. They are, don't have to unlearn what we have been learning. Yeah. But then you have, um, I saw when I did insight, how to establish certain Norway and what is sort of the engine, the gear shift. Then this guy from Deloitte, he says, well, you have three ways of becoming circular uh, business. First, you have Either you can take a linear business and change and transition. Mm-hmm. And that's really the most difficult way at all because that's right. actually about cannibalizing your own assets or your own knowledge. Or uh, it would uh-huh. be like uh, 
putting up internet in a newspaper in the 90s. Right. Um, totally different mindset. It, so you have to change your industry, is. basically. Yeah. And that's difficult. Yeah, so that, either, can you do that? So it is. So what Vistrayara has been doing, uh, one of the global uh, fertilization companies, yeah. they put up a separate business unit to uh, uh, explore and to grow in circular economy. And I think that's very wisely because then they they will concentrate on evolving because what they come up with when the Yara will go circular, it will yeah. obviously disrupt their own uh, 100-year-old business model. And more and more companies will see that. But the second thing is who are we opening a market for? And that's the unborn companies. Those who yet have not seen its leader or its organization, but it's the one who discover the needs and those what kind of companies and technologies will be needed to close loops and have an efficient and productive circular economy. Yeah. We will need, need so much innovation, so much entrepreneurship, so much new skills. And those companies, we see them exploding, people with bright ideas, and they have to have special birth help because they often work in a system and an ecosystem and our funding systems or financing systems are not yet prepared for funding circular business entrepreneurships mm. uh, uh, so they have special challenges but when they come out with the circular solutions uh, i truly believe that those who are put up as a fully circular business model from day one uh, we will see so many starlight and unicorn companies in a couple of years yeah. and thirdly we can import we can see oh what they're doing in netherlands i could call them do what you would like to put on a branch in norway yeah, yeah we shall we do it ourselves or shall, shall we be agents for each other and make it possible to scale and um, so these three ways of becoming a circular business is um and they are totally different strategies yeah, and you talk about seven key principles, hey? and I saw a graph as well on your website. Um, what, 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 why, why seven? Uh, why seven principles? Uh, I see something about prioritizing, uh, regenerative resources, yeah. preserving, extending seven what's is already a good there. Number, in narration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have three, you have seven, or you have eleven. Yeah, so what is it? Why seven? Why seven? Number, so, <laughs> yeah, so seven. It's a nice number. Uh, but, hey. in, well, I'm just a former journalist, so I, 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 I gather knowledge and try to learn from the best. So this is uh, not uh, invented by us. Uh, yeah. It's really not invented here. And uh, it's applied from Circle Economy, okay. who has put up this uh, seven set. And uh, these are generic enough and very specific enough, so everyone can at least identify with at least two and right. some to okay. seven. But I see it's uh, so if I could... Uh, these seven principles, uh, yeah. which uh, also connect a lot of the biases that has been. So first, it's about always prioritize renewable energy. Okay. And often we don't tend to think that energy is part of the circular economy. But this is also learning that going circular, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. Prioritize renewable energy. You rethink your business model. How can you go from a waste model, a waste producing model to a retaining value model. Yeah. Then thirdly, you preserve and extend what's already made. And mm -hmm. this is what I did with my father's car. It has been repaired and maintained for years and years. Yeah. And this is how we can reuse and take, because repairability yeah. is really out of the order if you buy a washing machine today. Yeah. And then you use incorporate digital technology. And this is why we are so many believing in this shift going radically fast because when we digitalized and we, put circularity as default in our technological systems mm -hmm. and uh, we will see evolving um, practical solutions using building as material banks which is an amazing technology and we'll see how you trace and you source materiality and then you use systems design principles so you design for the future that's number five yeah so circular design it's a very exciting game and uh, myself coming from systems design see when designers onboard circularity that's where we have day one for any idea or product. So designing uh, completely for design guides for circularity mm -hmm. is very useful. Then we don't have to reinvent uh, the way we make things because sure. it's, it's already set yeah. good guidelines. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then we come to the point where use waste as a resource. And that might have been a challenge because the waste industry has, at least in our region, sort of being wanting to own circular economy yeah. and that uh, has been not involving the producers or the others in the value chain but we see waste as the resource for any kind of material search or how can we identify that and finally number seven uh, which also is identical to sdg goal number 17 yeah. collaborate to create joint value and that's like the starlight of it the collaboration uh, point as well Right, and you, you talk about uh, the sustainable development uh, goals. There, uh, you cover basically eight of the goals of the seventeen goals, correct? Seven, nine, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and seventeen. Yeah. 
you're faster than me on this one. I would say yes, uh, circularity <laughs> applies to everything, all of them, but we just have to translate them and make them practical in the variety of areas. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. You talked as well about sustainable uh, energy. Obviously, that's not very difficult in Norway. I read uh, in an article that uh, the country runs nearly 100% uh, renewable energy. Is that is that really right? Is that correct? Yeah, that- Norway is very lucky domestically. Uh, we're powered mainly by hydropower. Hydropower, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so our relation to energy is very, I would say, schizophrenic and it's very hard times because it also applies to how can we discuss our industries mm-hmm. uh, uh, when we have a, a wealth economy based very much on fossil fuels. Yeah. And uh, uh, and when I started working with this field seven years ago, noting that there were two countries in Nor- Europe aiming for ground growth uh, was Romania and Norway. The yeah. rest of Europe was actually going on a, uh, a green energy uh, or a renewable energy transition. Noting that we have to put sort of the fossil, uh, that's a political and business activity at itself. When we see how the Norwegian households and industries are run, it's made basically on renewable power. And that's also why we have so much process industry uh, in our fjords, because uh, it was attracted to cheap and renewable power historically. We are challenged by a kind of energy which is... um, also an elephant in the room and that's where we burn our materials and we make uh, uh, heating systems but we are following the front runners in Netherlands who are now sort of saying we have to phase out to the incineration camps we have to find other ways to care for our materials the fact that renewable energy is so crucial for circular economy being so energy related, we forgot to start uh, exploring the opportunities of resource management. We've been so orientated to energy management in our industries that the resource management has been lacking. Right. So seeing now this will be more integrated and united when we start to measure the emissions and the footprints. Sure. And then I saw something about, um, you know, educational programs, what you do from your side uh, on on circular business models. What are you teaching exactly? Obviously, you're teaching this, as you mentioned already, to businesses. Um, so that is your target. But what, what exactly are you teaching them? Um, is that the beginnings or is that um, the four goals that I saw on your website, four phases? Or what, what where, where do you start from your side? We run, uh, we have been running... Um innovation programs for unlocking value chain okay. for the real estate and construction industry, a year long program, mm-hmm. uh, including almost 30 of the stakeholders within uh, the industry. Okay. Uh, and that's both about learning and unlearning, doing and getting insights. So that's a strategy innovation program. Strategy that's innovation. one way. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, also uh, learning the mythology of, of, of transitioning of the cities. So how can a city uh, uh, find a collaborative way with its uh, businesses and inhabitants to, to pilot a way to transition to evolve new business practices in its own region. Uh, I have this uh, ABC for circular economists. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's exactly what's needed. If you just talk in yeah. technical terms and no one's going to say, yeah, okay, fine, thank you. But if you actually talk in, in, in a way that people can actually understand it and why it's better, and from what you say already, there's a demand from the customers for this. That's correct, right? That's what you just said. It is coming. And it's not to me to to translate. I really mm-hmm. rely to the specialists with any kind of industry. They yeah. are to translate. What does it mean for our fishing uh, company? What does this mean in our bank? But uh, how can you make this generic set? And maybe in the storytelling or yeah. this responsible, including way. And also uh, when people might be sleeping, until, uh, but that's the, one of the first thing, the first stakeholders we onboard in Norway. And I think that was a clever one. It was uh, involving the accountant. Accountants, uh, because okay. In- yeah. Accountants, wow. can you imagine? They being heartburning environmentalists now. It's amazing to see the accountant organization in Norway. Uh, because Inside had told me, uh, what is the most difficult thing when you want to go from selling uh, winter jackets and uh, leasing them and even take more responsibility for repairing them and you can return them? And who would love this idea in a jacket industry? Mm-hmm. And then this uh, CEO, he says, well, I can tell you who that will uh, stop it. It would be the accountant. They will say, <laughs> no way. This is going to be too costly. And then the market guy, he can dream on, but the, or the sustainability woman, she can 
yell out, but the, it will be stopped. So I, uh, the dialogue of the accountant organization said, can you be the, those who are stopping this transition? And then how can we make circular business models accountable? And that was also how we discovered uh, the linear risk model. So the linear, uh, how can you measure your own linear risk? And that is the language that the most uh, business leaders also understand. And it's not so fearful. It's very logic. And okay, uh, we don't want to be exposed for linear risk. And it's very simple. First, how exposed are you for virgin materials in your in- input? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how is vulnerable are you in uh, selling items that uh, you don't know where to uh, end in your outputs? Thirdly, how are you uh, 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 organizing your way of innovation or, or innovating yourself, your own operation? And uh, uh, fourthly, how are you organized for collaboration outside? So through these four sort of, and it's evolved by KPMG. I didn't invent this. This is a language that um, is applicable and understandable. And it sort of turns the ice flake mm-hmm. upside down and say, well, it's not about being fair and daring going into the circularity, but it would be pretty stupid uh, to not not try to avoid the linear uh, risk, which is accelerating every day now. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. Uh, obviously, um, should this come from the government side as well? Because uh, we talked about, you said earlier, Denmark is going the political way, and I saw an article on BBC actually that uh, uh, it's now illegal uh, to fail to act on the climate change uh, in laws in, in Denmark, uh, whereas Norway says, well, we want to be climate neutral by 2030, but uh, they plan to uh, buy emission offsets from other countries. Um, and, and they say that Norway's domestic emissions are actually higher than uh, 30 years ago. Have you got anything to say about that? Any any thoughts? Any I can only sort of what to what to excuse. The, this yeah. is the hard fact, and this is the reality. Yeah. And if it continues this way, this will not be workable. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you have to be accountable for uh, uh, for the emissions uh, where we are, yeah. and the way we're offsetting uh, the problem uh, and uh, and delivering it to other regions in the world. Uh, maybe that will become a big opportunity for uh, other places in the world, but it's not responsible. Uh, and and uh, the policymaking is uh, very important to uh, to that, create government. trust. That's and, government, though, isn't yes. it? Yeah. And also we have to understand that uh, the, the, the policy is now subsidizing the linear economy. So okay. there is already a set of regulations which uh, make uh, the linear model uh, preferable until we change the regulations. What I do regret in this matter, Norway not being part of the EU, and that makes it a little bit more troublesome uh, to onboard the European uh, circular movement, which has been paving way for the last five years. It's amazing. So I follow the EU Green Deal, and if we could put our government regulations and strategies very close up to the EU, I, I'm very hopeful for the Norwegian future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am very scared that maybe Norway wants to do it in our own special way. Uh, uh, maybe it's part. better. So you don't know. Is, but. <laughs> <laughs> so this is also why we start to see collaboration in the Nordic, so we can have uh, the variety of premises uh, work this out. Okay. Uh, what Denmark did is amazing, making the future responsibility or making us responsibility for the future. And if we don't, and um, there is a amazing uh, uh, book coming out, The Good Ancestor, okay. how to think long-term in a short-term world. And um, uh, it's not on Amazon yet, but I really followed him, his uh, talks and seminars this summer. And he teaches us to think long-term. How can we plan for cathedral thinking? How can we plan for seven generations, generations ahead? Who are the voters who are not yet born? So who are part of today's governance and politics that we have to consider in the short-term politic uh, uh, cycle? Um, so what Denmark did is um, example that if you don't deliver to 2030, then you will not be, then you will lose your government position. Right. But it's, it's not one or the other. So what we see, 13 countries in Europe has now delivered national strategies in Norway, we have it on the climate ministry, and I fear that makes it weaker than if it would be 
uh, governed by the uh, business industry. That is uh, the, the business uh, ministry. That is what we see in Denmark as well. This is run by business leaders and um, and, the, and it's about the Danish economics. Yeah. Got one, one, one other question. I was in a news article. I just want to know what you think about it. Uh, something about a landslip in Norway, a landslide. Not, it was in a June, June article, uh, climateadaptionplatform.com. Uh, landslide, houses uh, swept away, uh, cabins uh, swept away, and they say this is uh, climate change impact on rainfall. Um, can be just water seeping into the mountains. Maybe always has happened. Always the tragedies have happened, but they say it's directly related to climate change. What's your opinion? Um, seeing that uh, film clip is um, made, made me to dare, tears. Um, mm-hmm. uh, this is not the first time. Uh, a couple of years ago, this also happened on Svalbard uh, because uh, more rain, uh, the tundra, the temperature in the tundra is melting and the Arctic areas of the world, uh, the ice that used to sort of be compacting our earth so that we will see that uh, our nature and landscape will be changing. I am not into the discussion, is it man-made or not, but climate change is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I have been working closely and getting to know the island of uh, Svalbard, are you familiar with that? No, but you're in, you're, you're north of the Arctic Circle, so I know that you are very familiar with <laughs> There you go, with because yeah. there's this landslide you <laughs> saw. It's uh, when uh, when our, the temperature is rising so high now, so fast in the Arctic regions and Svalbard is the place on Earth where the temperature is rising fastest. Okay. Uh, it has been, and this summer it was a uh, temperature record of 22 degrees. Uh, it shall not be. It's like uh, the main temperature should be uh, uh, eight or 10 degrees. Uh, and landslide on Svalbard, uh, some years ago, was a big reminder that uh, the tundra is melting there. It's uh, started to grow uh, grass. It's a small community, 2,000 people living there. It has been, uh, it's a wonderful society. And I have been having this dream. How could this be the first practical uh, example of transition to a perfect circle economy? Because you have a perfect closed system. You know, everything comes in, everything comes out, mm-hmm. and it's a functional society. And how could uh, this be a place that deserves to spearhead the solutions because they're hit so hard by the climate change. Mm-hmm. And the, not even our mainland and not even the world knows how hard the climate change is now uh, uh, affecting uh, the, the, the conditions in Svalbard. And also for people living in these rapid changes and have to they have to move part of the city because ah, of no, the landslide. I have heard about it. They designed a whole new city for the for the inhabitants to go to at a certain point, right? Is that is that correct? Is that what we're talking about? They're moving. They're taking because it's too dangerous to live behind the hills. Yeah. So they have to move the down to the shore. Right. And that's uh, uh, yeah. because okay. they understand this will become worse and it will not get. It will not return to the climate we used to have there. Yeah. And what is also beautiful about Svalbard. Uh, is the place that is the deposit of the seed bank. So it's a global seed bank. It was put up there because of the Arctic climate. Okay. And that's where we could put the genetic material of any seed and any biological uh, growth uh, uh, is stored in and it's built to last for a thousand years. So it's like uh, Notre Dame uh, uh, for our s- decade mm-hmm. to understand that. And the reason for protecting these seeds, it was... If we, the world is going to hit a major war, a disaster, if countries are to be uh, torn uh, out and, uh, and uh, we will have one place on earth where we store the genes of the biological material of the earth. So the paradox of this is that uh, after 10 years, it wasn't surrounded by Arctic anymore because of the climate change. So now uh, they have uh, restored this uh, seed bank. But this is uh, a very good example of cathedral thinking and thinking long-term. So if anything would happen with our civilization now, um, the, the biomaterial will be available for the future. Um, where can people find you? I've seen you be, you're on Twitter, for one, uh, at, at Catherine Barf, and you've got a few followers as well. That's very good indeed. And obviously you have a website as well. Hey, uh, is, is it uh, circularnorway.no? 
is also circularnorway.com or is there yes, anywhere uh, else? Yes, Circular Norway is uh, one, one among uh, several of the projects that I'm working with. So yeah. I believe in my Gmail would be Barth one at Gmail. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, and also, of course, through Circular Norway, uh, we will establish, uh, the reason is we're establishing it will be Sir, uh, Catherine Nordic Circular Hotspot uh, during this fall, as this will be what I'm mainly be dedicated to. Okay. Uh, and, but thoroughly uh, on LinkedIn. I love Twitter. I love uh, LinkedIn. I left watching television uh, several years ago and I have really? so much information <laughs> and I have this two hour Twitter time Sunday mornings right. with so many clever people and um, it uh, enlightens me and connects me with a wonderful global circular community so many so so and LinkedIn as well uh, mm. a very uh, insightful place to both reach me and those that I relate very much with of course, of course. Is there anything else you would like to mention? Anything that's coming up besides your book, obviously, but anything that uh, is going to happen? You mentioned, obviously, decisions are going to be made by the end of the year. Anything that you would like to say? Yes. Uh, what I have been learning, um, uh, that's also why I want to put my the documentaries of the learning into a book, but what... what, what uh, uh, we see uh, with a new economy, we need a, need a new econom economic language. So uh, this uh, during COVID, I have been part of a survey done by Mr. Frank Lentz. He's a language doctor uh, working with language innovation, words that work and words that doesn't. And we have identified how can we onboard a new economy if you don't have a language that responds for the new economics. Uh, remember, economy is the old Greek language for ekon is household, mm -hmm. nomos is the norms for. So getting back to the core of economic means how do we household? Our, or how, then we also see that a lot of the words that we apply when we evolve the new economics, sustainability economics, uh, are old school. Uh, and we see that uh, it's not communicating. We see that maybe... Climate will not be the driver for the new economic. Maybe it will be other drivers. Maybe green doesn't communicate for all. Maybe green is very provoking for some. And uh, realizing that Norwegians are among the third climate deniers in the world, we see... Is that so? Uh, yeah. So, so, so we, well, I, I think one of the hard uh, projects that I'm very curious how to evolve. So anyone, uh, if this has a resonance, how to do this as a Nordic, Norwegian or European project, how can we go, get into our languages and identify a functional language that is recognizable and appealing and compelling uh, to onboard a cleaner, healthier, a safer economy, not having to force it on, but uh, evolving. And every new time has new language. I'm not, I'm not talk, talk, writing to you through my uh, portable typewriter uh, or uh, <laughs> right we, we uh -huh. made new language for digitalization yeah so this is maybe on um when you say is there anything else this is really something else because when we do open the new economic language i think this will include a much faster pace we don't have to wait for 10 to 30 years to reach the goals of uh, climate neutrality in 2015 maybe we can do it in a year or two or three uh, just as the berlin wall changed europe in one second uh, i see covid maybe making it possible for us to accelerate transition rapidly and one of the berlin wall breakers would be to uh evolve a common set or an economic language that is appealing. Makes total sense to me. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Wonderful, Peter. Thank you so much for being together with you. That was a podcast with Catherine Barth from Circular Norway. Fantastic to have her on the show. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Uh, you can find the latest news on podcasts.earth. Uh, that is E-A-R-T-H at the end. Um, you have been listening to Peter de Vries um, and it's much appreciated that you've done that and don't forget to tune in next time. Thank you.